Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today, you'll enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. today on how to get to heaven, how to be saved without being religious. I want you please, I see that seems to suit some of you folks. You said amen to that before I started. I want you please to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. And then as we go along today, I'm going to define the term religious because there is good religion and there's bad religion. And most of it is bad. Luke chapter 5 and verse 29 to 39, please. Luke chapter 5, verse 29, and onwards, if I may, get you to turn those passages. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors 
and others who sat down with him. These were the known sinners. But their scribes and uh, their Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees and the scribes were so sanctimonious and so self-righteous that they felt that they would be defiled by meeting with ordinary people, particularly with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is still with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Now, it is in this context of legalism uh, that I want you to notice these words that Jesus had to say. Then he spoke this parable to them. No one puts a piece uh, from an, a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts, now I want you to get these words, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Now Jesus here is talking about the new wine, and he's talking also about the old wine. And Jesus said, you don't put new wine into old wineskins, or else you are going to burst the old wineskins. What were the old wineskins? Let me tell you, it was the religion of the Pharisees. It was the religion of man. And Jesus said, don't even try to put the new wine of the gospel in the scriptures. Wine is the very expression to represent that which makes glad the heart of man. And it makes us think of the words of the great British reformer who described the book of Romans in these words, good, glad, merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. That is the wine of salvation. Jesus said, don't even try to put that into the old people because he said they cannot take it. Jesus said, you've got to have new wine in new wineskins, but the good news is that Jesus can even take an old shriveled up wineskin and make it into a new wineskin. Now, Jesus is saying here that there are two types of religion in the world. Uh, let me say it again, there are only two religions in the world. We talk about multitudes of denominations, but Jesus spoke only of two religions, the truth and the false, the good and the bad, the religion of God and the religion of man. And the religion of man is always bad because it is the old wineskin. Jesus came into this world 
to bring about a spiritual revolution and to make the old new and if he could not make the old new to get some new wineskins and to fill them with the joy and the wine of the new gospel. So I say again, there are just two religions, the new and the, and the old. And when I say that we're going to talk on the subject, how to be saved without being religious, I'm referring to the religion of man. Because if a person is going to be saved, he will be saved with the religion of God. But you cannot be saved with the religion of man because it is basically evil. Because I want you to know today this, and this is an unpalatable saying when you talk in a religious country, that we have far too much religion in the world. And far too much religion in America. And maybe too much religion in your home and in your church if it is the religion of man and not the religion of God. Man's religion has been the greatest curse to the human race. What a statement to say when most of us would believe that religion in itself is intrinsically good. I want to tell you the religion of man is intrinsically evil. And we will not be saved by the religion of man. Did you know this, that Hitler, Marx, uh, Mussolini, and other notable atheists and men who victimized millions of the human race were the products of religion? Did you know that Karl Marx, the man who became the father of the Soviet state, the man who was the, the person who wrote uh, the Communist Manifesto, the man who more than anybody else set the stage for the greatest annihilation of millions of people in the history of the human race, this man was brought up in a Christian home and he went to a Jesuit school. And there he was trained in all the elements of Christianity, but it produced a person who became a monster. Did you know that Hitler was the product of a Christian in italics, a Christian religious upbringing, and so was Mussolini, and so was Stalin? Did you know that out of the so-called Christian church has arisen the abomination of desolation with millions of lives destroyed because of the old wine, which is poisonous? I want to say to you today that if you have the old wine, it will taste good because Jesus says, no person having tasted the old wine wants the new and this is true, humanly speaking. It takes a special miracle of God for people after they have tasted the old to want the new. But Jesus came to bring the new. Amen. And therefore, this is why, and this is very difficult particularly for Adventists to believe, it is, this is why it is so difficult for people who have been born and bred in the church to get to know God. The hardest people that Jesus found to reach were the Pharisees, and they were the professional religionists of his own day. And the strongest statements that Jesus ever said in his life were not directed against the prostitutes to whom he had only a kind word, but the strong words of Jesus, his most 
his strongest and his sternest denunciations were against the professional religionists. I want you to come over here to Matthew 23, please, and notice the strong words of Jesus. And there are Bibles, I believe, in the pews if you desire to use one. Uh, I want you, please, to come to Matthew 23, where Jesus talks about organized religion. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, uh, spoke to the multitude and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say, and do not do. What do you call this? When a religious person says do, but he doesn't do himself, what do you call this? This is hypocrisy. Why is it that today multitudes have turned from the church? The, now, they do not have a good reason to turn from God, but you can understand why multitudes have turned from the church, because Jesus said, the people with the old wine, they say, but they do not do, and often they are in it because of money. Verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and all you are brethren. The Bible teaches that there should never be a hierarchy in the church of God. The Bible says there should not be a distinction between the pastor and the congregation in the sense that one is more spiritually elevated than the other. The Bible says we are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father in a spiritual sense, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. For he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This was the very opposite of the teaching of the religion in the days of Jesus. And now you come, please, with me to verse 37 to verse 39, and here Jesus finishes the denunciation of organized religion without the power of God. And please look at it in the Bible, if you've got a Bible. If you come to this church, you're going to be blessed if you read the text. If you come there, here just to sit and not to listen, you're not going to be blessed. Look at verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent uh, to you, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, but I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Now, I have a strong word for you today. That is this, my beloved friend. Beware. Beware lest and you and I trust in the forms and the ceremonies of the church. Because the forms and the ceremonies of the church, when perverted by the human heart, are damnable. 
And that is why that the, the people who were the greatest religionists in the world crucified the Lord of glory. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus came to his own. He came to, he came to his own people. They were the people who believed in the Holy Scriptures. These were the people who kept the Holy Sabbath. These were the people who paid their tithe and a tithe on top of that tithe. These were the people who practiced healthful living, who had the Levitical laws. These were the people who expected Messiah to come and usher in the kingdom of God. And these were the people who nailed the Son of God to the cross. What a warning to the human heart and to the religious heart. What a warning lest we trust in the embellishments of religion and are not born again by the Holy Spirit and do not have the new wine. Can I tell you one way you can tell whether you got the new wine or not? If you've got the new wine, you're going to be glad. If you've got the new wine, uh, it's going to be written on your face and in your soul because the new wine makes a person to be glad at heart. But the old wine in the old vessels makes a person to be sour and critical and morose and very self-righteous. That is the religion of man and you'll never get to heaven with it, I tell you. But you can get to heaven when you drink the new wine. Is all religion bad? No, there is the new wine as well as the bad. How can I know whether I, I have the new wine and whether I have the wonderful gospel of Jesus? Let me tell you some identification marks, if I could describe it this way, concerning true religion, because I am all for true religion. Let me tell you what I believe Jesus teaches about the new wine that I want every person here to drink to his full of today. The new wine and the new religion and the religion of God uplifts Jesus and uplifts people. Let me say it again. The religion of man centers on man and the accomplishments of the organization. Whenever you have people who glorify in the organization of the church, beware, because that is not the mark of the church of God, that is the mark of a cult. The true religion of God does not glorify in the accomplishments of men but it glorifies in Jesus and works to uplift the human race. That is what true religion is. Now last week we spoke about the gospel from the book of Romans, which possibly is the greatest masterpiece that the human mind has ever conceived or realized, as G'day said. But today I want to take three stories from the life of Jesus that illustrate marvelously and simply the new wine, the fresh wine, the true religion of God. Three stories that illustrate what true religion is all about. The first story is the story of the cripple on the roof. And I, not the fiddler on the roof, but the cripple on the roof that you'll find in Luke chapter 5 and verse 18. I'd like you please to turn to it. Luke chapter 5 and verse 18 and uh, onwards, I believe it is. Luke 
chapter 5, and I believe it is verse 18 and onwards, where it talks about the cripple on the roof, and this story is given to illustrate the new wine or the gospel. Verse 18 says, Then behold, uh, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they sought to bring him and lay him before him. That is, before Jesus. When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. These people had initiative. So when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now the people with the old wine were also there. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them. Immediately, it says, took up what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Now last week we talked about justification and we used the theological terms. This is how justification works. Now some of us find it hard to understand theological terms, but anybody here today, my beloved brothers and sisters, can understand this story of a cripple on a roof who was let down into the house and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, rise up and walk. And it happens not over a lifetime, but it happens in a moment. This man is delivered and his sins are forgiven and he is restored to the favor of God in a moment. This is what salvation is about. The new wine says, it is yours today. If you want it, it is yours now. Your faith has made you well. You can have it now. Now, I had a person call me this week and said, I have, Pastor Carter, she said, I have a, a tremendous problem. I have committed a great sin. Uh, I have come from a, a broken home and I've committed a great sin. Uh, and then she told me the problem in her life. I said to her, the good news of the gospel is this, that if you come to Jesus now, Jesus will accept you now. Amen. It's now. Salvation is instant. Now the Pharisees grumbling in their beards, and they are professionals at this, grumbling and moaning and complaining because they liked the old wine, could not understand why Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. I want you to know this. If you, there is hope for the worst sinner. If you come to Jesus as you are crippled and with all of your spiritual and physical deformities, the message of Jesus is, Son, your sins are forgiven. In a moment. That's the new wine. That's the gospel. And when you have the gospel and you have passed from death unto life, then you are going to heaven. You hear this? Then you are going to heaven because God has saved you. Now, I want to come to the second story. This is the story of the prostitute, the elder, and Jesus at a party. 
Would you please come to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and onwards. Is it over the page? Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 and onwards. Oh, this is, this is one of the, the great and the marvelous and the very, well, the very best of stories. Let's start at verse, verse 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now Jesus was not exclusive. Jesus went wherever he was asked. He ate with the sinners and he ate with what some call themselves saints. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, we know from other references in the Bible that her name was Mary. She was the sister of Martha and she was also the sister of Lazarus whom Jesus raised from the dead. And so Jesus goes along and he goes to the house of the Pharisee, the exclusive religionist, the man who'd been drinking the old wine all his life and it was coming out of his ears and his eyeballs. He was filled with it. He was almost incurably religious. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now we are all sinners, but some are respectable and some are disrespectable. And she was disrespectable. A woman in the city who was a sinner, Mary, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head which she let down. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw all this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. Let me give you a little scenario. You know who the villain was, don't you? The elder, the professional religionist, the man who was drunk on his own self-righteousness. There is evidence that exists to suggest that this man, Simon the Pharisee, was the man who had taken her to bed. Uh, we're not suggesting that was the first time she'd been to bed because she was a harlot. It is interesting that the people who are often the most sanctimonious in themselves who are the most rotten and corrupt. Often outward piety and talk of religion is simply a sham or a smokescreen to cover up the filth that lurks within. Did you know that? Beware of religious people if they have the religion of man. 
because they are the most pious. They will know all the hymns off by heart. They will know the church manual frontwards and backwards and sideways. They will know all the legal terms and they will know how to, to come over as being pious. And Jesus said, Beware of the Pharisees because they're like whited sepulchres which appear righteous to men but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. The Pharisee has no moral power because he doesn't know the gospel. The Pharisee, the professional religionist, will deny himself and everybody else whenever he has an opportunity. Beware of the professional religionist, I say to you, if he's drunk in the old wine. And Simon was a professional religionist, Bishop. He knew all the terminology and there is evidence that suggests that he was the man who had taken Mary to bed. He knew her very well. And Jesus knew it too. And so you get the picture. There is Simon. There is Jesus. And there's a woman who is a prostitute. She comes in and she is attractive. And she kneels down at the feet of Jesus and she lets down her long hair and she pours the alabaster on his feet, on his body and she kisses his feet, she kisses him and that was something Simon found obnoxious. She kisses him and then she takes her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. And Simon, who is one of the chosen frozen that we referred to last week, Simon, who is a leader of the chosen frozen, who is one of God's special people, is sitting there and he is thinking in his heart he can't be who he says he is because he wouldn't let this woman touch him. And Jesus knowing what Simon had been up to in the wee hours of the morning, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Can you think of the thoughts that went into Simon's head? Is he going to give the, the dates and the times and the places? And so Simon, who is now frigid with fear, says, Master, say on. Praying, Master, say nothing. I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. Here, now we have the conflict between the old and the new, the new wine and the rotten old wine. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, remember, that's a key expression, when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. What's that? That's mercy. That's grace. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon Anson said, I suppose. The theologians are great with that expression. I suppose. Nothing is too clear. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. 
but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Hear the grumbling of the old gray beards who are drunk on their Pharisaism. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to think about this story because we, mis we misunderstand it often. And I did for years. We think that the woman who was the prostitute, the town harlot, was the person who owed Jesus the most. Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that Simon owed the 100 and she owed the 500. Jesus never said that. Jesus said the person who is forgiven the most loves the most. Her sins, however great or small, were all forgiven as evidenced by her love. But Simon, who was the greater of the debtors, loved only little because he'd never experienced the overwhelming grace and compassion of God. Would you like to know whether you've got the new wine or the old wine? It is very simple. Do you freely forgive? Do you forgive? A person can be identified as a Pharisee or a professional religionist, and listen to this carefully, by his attitude towards people. We posed the question last week, which we partially answered, why is it that so many people who go to church have got such a dreadful name? Why is it that people say, I do not want to belong to a church when you look at the people in the church? And you say, why? And you say, because, well, I've got somebody at work. I know this person at work, and he, he goes to church, and all he does is talk religion, but he's crooked, and he's narrow, and he's harsh, and he's cold, he's, he's absolutely frigid, and you don't want to cross him because he is the worst person to cross. People say, if I were to be marooned on a desert island, let me be, be, be marooned with a bunch of sinners, but not with so-called Christians. Why? Because those so-called Christians are still drinking the old wine and they've never tasted the joy of the new wine that is expressed in accepting the mercy of God. Only, a, listen to this, only the person who knows that he is a sinner in need of grace and who has received the mercy of God knows how to show mercy to other people. Amen. Did you hear this? This is the root cause of our pompous religiosity that only those who have received mercy and feel their need of mercy will be merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. 
But notice how Jesus dealt with the humbug in the story. The professional religionist. Jesus did not unmask him publicly and give the times and the dates and the places. Jesus told a story and won his heart. Jesus was merciful to the people who were going, who were destined to nail him to the cross. The essence of the new religion of God is that it teaches people to know who they are, that we are all sinners and we all stand in need of God's redemption. And when we have received God's redemption and rejoice in the joy of salvation, we are merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. Therefore Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy and inherit the kingdom of God. One other story. I think it is found in John chapter 8. I think. John chapter 8. Yes, it is. For which I bless God because I had lost my place here. But God was merciful to me. Just kept my brain working a little longer. John chapter 8, verse 1 and onwards. This is another great story. It is the conflict between the new wine and the old wine, between the religion of man and the religion of God. And I want every person here today to burst out of the old system and to become intoxicated on the new wine. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. James, we need a glory from you soon. You sit down in the front. This was a glory sermon. Maybe you can work one up on this one, James. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again, again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, here they come again. Uh, the professional religionists, the people who uh, know everything about theology, but nothing about mercy. Everything about the rules of the church, but nothing about the grace of God. But they also knew a bit about adultery. And early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. They were zealous, weren't they? Weren't they zealous? Has it ever flashed across your mind how did they do this? They obviously had spies out and they followed this woman around, and at the vital moment, they burst in. Weren't they wonderful people? Sneaky, snoops, self-righteous, and they felt that in tracking this woman and catching her, and they brought her. Why didn't they bring the man? Was the man one of their own number? Was, was the man one of the members of the church board, why just bring the woman? Because they were out to catch Jesus, that's why. And so these undesirable, ugly, professed religionists with all the ostentation and pride bring to Jesus a woman whom they'd caught in the very act of adultery through their skill and their ingenuity. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses. Can you hear it? 
We've caught her in the very act. Now Moses, now the church speaks. Now we quote the authority. These were people who knew how to quote the Bible. That is why Solomon says, do not be religious over much because the people who quote the Bible quite often the most are the people who are the, the most obnoxious spiritual characters. This is true. Do you know it's true? Yeah, you know it's true. But you folks look up the text just the same. Teacher, this woman was caught in, the, in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that she should be, such should be stoned. What do you say? Here's the trap. This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. I call this the story of the harlot and the writing in the sand. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. The oldest were into this too, you see. The oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to um, visualize now, please, uh, what was happening here. The people drunk on the old wine drag in a woman whom they have caught in the act of adultery, but they don't bring in the man. So they were somewhat sexist. So they bring in the woman, and they say, now Moses, the church manual, the decretals of the church say that she should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus said, nothing. Jesus got down and started to write in the sand and the dust. We have evidence from another, another source that what Jesus wrote there was truly amazing because he was writing down the sordid little details of their own filthy lives. He wrote down, Rabbi so-and-so, March 17, 7.30, such and such a street, and the name of the lady. And when the rabbi looked over, he suddenly discovered he had a pressing engagement with one of the temple theologians. <laughs> And Jesus continued to write the sordid little stories of their disgusting religious lives and he wrote it down in the sand and one by one, starting at the oldest, the Bible says, so they were all involved, the young and the old. And when they had looked over his shoulder and they had come face to face with the truth of the judgment of God that one day all things will be revealed. Did you know that? One day all things will be revealed and though we hide it from everybody it is written in the sand of time. And so like the jackals or 
perhaps the hyenas that they were, they stole away. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers, woman? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was not saying your lifestyle is such that I cover it with my grace and my mercy. But Jesus was saying, I am not teaching a cheap grace, but I am teaching a transforming grace that will make you one of my children. And she went away filled with the new wine. I can see her laughing as she goes down the street. I can see the old Pharisees scolding and frowning and carrying on and muttering all their theological words. I can see them finding fault and this woman like Mary is bounding down the street and she is intoxicated on the new wine of God and she is filled with joy and she is even celebrating the name of God. That's one word the Pharisee can't stand. But she is celebrating the grace and the mercy of God because Jesus, number one, forgave her in a moment. That's justification. He forgave her in a moment. He delivered her in a moment. Therefore, salvation comes in a moment when I am in my sin and I come to Him. He forgives me in a moment when I come in contrition. Amen. And then, uh, God did something marvelous with this woman because not only are the Pharisees the old bags that are made only to contain the old wine, those old bags that are full of creases and they're tough and they're hard and if you poke them they crack. Not only were the Pharisees described by this term the old bags or the old wineskins but so is every sinner outside of the grace of God. This woman was also an old wineskin and Jesus did what seemed to be utterly impossible, Jesus turned her into a new wineskin. And then he filled her up with the wine of the gospel, this good, glad, and merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance, as Tyndale said. So be honest today. Ask yourself this, particularly to those of you who have been suffocated on orthodox religion. Ask yourself this, do you have the religion of man, which is a curse? May I say this without your misunderstanding? This country, this great land of America that we love, is just so full of religion. Then how do we describe, how do we explain the fact that it is also filled with more crime and more violence than any other country in the world? It is because it is not filled with the new wine, it is filled with the old. And so I say to you, religion is not enough. Going through the motions is not enough. Going to church is not enough. Go to church, you ought to. But I ask you today, in the name of God, forsake the old wine and forsake the religion of man and accept the religion of God and become filled with the new wine of the gospel. Amen. And it is 
that gospel that makes people full of joy, full of peace, full of contentment, full of enthusiasm for God. No longer are they shirkers. No longer do they try to do the least, but nothing is too much for their Savior. Having been forgiven of all of their sins, they are filled with a holy joy to serve Christ with all their souls. Amen. Therefore, my invitation is very simple. Banish the old religion of the world. Banish the religion of man. Get rid of it. Spurn it. Let it go. And accept the religion of Jesus. Amen. The new wine in the new vessels. Glory be to God. Amen. We're going to kneel as we pray. Let's kneel. Now in a congregation like this, there's got to be people who come in here who have been tuned in with this devilish man's religion, who think that salvation comes by just going to church and going through the actions. Oh, it's a lot more than that we've discovered today. When a person is tuned into God and has become filled with the new wine, he'll go to church, he'll sing the hymns, he'll read his Bible, but there'll be a new force in the life. Amen. And he'll be a nice person to know. He won't be a sort of person, if you touch him, he cracks. But he'll be a nice person to know because he'll be prepared to put up with you because he knows that God is putting up with him. Amen. Mercy breeds mercy. Our Father, we thank you today for these wonderful truths out of your book. We thank you that Jesus came to do away with the old skins, with the old wine. And we know, Father, it's a terrible battle because when people have drunk that old wine, they say, this will do us. It's great. It's comforting. It makes us feel good. But our Father, we believe today that that old wine of the religion of man is poisoned through and through. It's caused more trouble in this world than anything else. Caused more trouble than atheism or anything. The old wine of formalized, man-made religion. Our Father, today we spurn it and we turn from it in the name of Christ. And our Father, today we want something to take its place. We want the new wine and we want to be new skins. We want the new wine of God's forgiveness and we want it now, our Father, because we freely confess that we are all sinners standing in the need of God's grace. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we confess and we forsake our sins now. And our Father, we pray that you'll show us mercy because you are a merciful God. We pray today that you'll cover us with the precious blood of Jesus and that you'll say to every person here today in this church, my son, my daughter, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Rise up and walk. Help us, Lord, today to hear the words that Jesus spoke to that poor prostitute. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we pray, our Father, that we will not just be old vessels trying to hold new wine because that won't work. We're just going to break in two. 
But our Father, we pray that we will become new vessels and that our lives at this moment by the grace of God will be changed into the new vessels to contain and to, to just uh, spread abroad the amazing new wine of the gospel. Dear Father, bless these precious people today. As we're praying here, my Father, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, speak to the hearts of the people here on their knees or sitting in the pews. And oh God, today, help them to get rid of this accursed, formalized religion and to accept the gospel of Jesus that will transform us into people that are loving and warm and kind. As we're praying today on our knees with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many will raise a hand and say, Oh God, make me into a new vessel and fill me with new wine today. Lift up your hand and tell God that. I want to be a new vessel. I turn my back on the old. I want to be, lift up your hand high. Make it a clear decision. I want to be filled with the new wine, the gospel of God. I want to have his forgiveness and his mercy and his love shed abroad in my heart today. I want to know that I'm saved, that I'm going to glory, because inst uh, this salvation that God gives is instantaneous. It is ours the moment we truly believe. Lift up your hands if you want it today. Tell God, make a decision. I want it today. Dear Father, bless these precious people today as we raise our hands and as we raise our hearts. Take all this coldness of, of the religion of man out of our souls and fill us up now, Lord, with warmth and love and peace and glory. We worship you and we bless you and we praise you. We give you glory today. We acknowledge you to be the Lord. And we give you worship in Jesus' precious name. For his sake, amen and amen. And glory be to God. Glory be to God.